Good morning. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people. Ezekiel 128 through 27. Morning. My name's Deva. Uh, my husband and I and our kids are here from uh, Genesis Covenant Church. And you're probably thinking, who is this person? Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I've been married 21 years, and I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. And God has been taking me on a little bit of a journey lately. Um, it started about a year ago, or at least that's when I became aware of it. Um, I think God was working on it quite some time before that, as he usually does. And now I find myself as a 40-something seminary newbie, uh, which is exciting. But I'm, I'm very happy to be here today. And everybody that I've met has been so warm and welcoming. I just really want to thank you for that. And I'd like to pray before we get started. God, I pray that you give us ears to hear this morning. Give us hearts to understand. And give us courage to walk in your way. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about what it's like when God calls us to our feet. When God calls us into action. And what challenges we might face during that time. When we receive a call to action, how can we respond in faith and obedience? As we end the first chapter of Ezekiel, we find Ezekiel on the ground. Um, He's in the presence of the glory of the Lord, and he has just experienced this incredible vision that he basically talks about through all of chapter 1. He falls on his face in complete awe and worship of the Lord and God's majesty. And then we start chapter 2. And the first thing God says to Ezekiel is, stand on your feet that I may speak to you. Now keep in mind, Ezekiel has just encountered this awesome vision of God. There's been lightning and strange looking beings flying around and loud noises. 
and he experiences all of God's power and radiance. And although it was amazing, I have to imagine it was pretty scary as well. And immediately following this, God says, get up, I have something to say to you. Now imagine you're in Ezekiel in this moment. How do you respond to that? You might be frozen in fear. You might run away and hide. You might pretend you didn't hear God. Surely God didn't just tell me to get up. I must have misheard. I think I'm just going to stay right here. Another response might be to choose to stay where you are because, after all, it's good to show reverence and to worship God. And it is right to worship God. There are several times in the scripture where we are told to do that. Psalm 95.6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. So if you're a Bible scholar, you might be tempted to quote some scripture to God and use that as your excuse to just stay right here. The truth is, there's a time to be on your face in worship of God and his majesty. And there's a time when God calls you to your feet, calls you into action. What does this moment look like in your life? It could be a call to go or to move into something, to do something. It could be a call to walk away or to give something up. Are you frozen in fear? or pretending you didn't hear God. Maybe you're arguing with God about that call. And if you're resisting God's call to action, you're in very good company. Throughout the Bible, we have examples of people who are called to go, to do, to move, and usually their response goes something like, but but God, what about... And then they fill in the, the best available excuse they can come up with. When God first called Moses, his excuse was a little weak. He basically said, I'm not very good at talking. But many times throughout scripture, we hear people say something more along the lines of, but if I go, those people will laugh at me. They might hurt me. They could even kill me. And sometimes their excuses, like ours, are legitimate concerns. What's your go-to excuse? In my journey right now, I've started to tell God I'm too old for what he's asking me to do. And I started using that excuse one day after I stopped using the excuse that I was too young. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Do you have a favorite argument that you use? God says, go. And you say, but God, I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't like public speaking. People will laugh at me. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not qualified. Surely there's someone better. I don't have the resources for what you're asking me to do. That could be financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, or even the resource of time. It's humbling to realize that when God calls you into action, you're not going to have everything you need to do it on your own. And God will give you what you need to move forward with his plan. But we have to take that first step in obedience. After Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they found themselves in a terrifying spot. The impassable Red Sea is in front of them. Pharaoh's army is closing in behind them. And in the midst of their fear, God's direction was go, move, 
Exodus 14, 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. But do you know what hadn't happened yet in the story? He hadn't parted the Red Sea. You can probably imagine their excuse to this one, but God, there's a sea in front of us. But still, God was telling them to move forward before showing them the clear path ahead. They had to resolve to go. Moses had to resolve to lift his staff while trusting that God would step in and provide for the way forward. We can also look at the story of Abraham and Isaac. God gave Abraham the instruction, go to the land of Moriah and offer your son there as a burnt offering. And Abraham went. Just stop there for a minute. God says, go sacrifice your only son. And Abraham went. He didn't know God's plan, but he trusted God, and he didn't hesitate. Actually, the Bible says he rose early the next morning, and he went. On the way there, Isaac notices, um, Dad, there's wood, and there's fire, but where's the sacrifice? And in response to Isaac's question, Abraham said, God will provide. Can we walk forward with that same faith? God does provide. And even though I have seen this time and time again in my own life, I still freeze, or I hide, or I make excuses, primarily born out of fear. I recently did it again. A couple of months ago, I felt like I was being led to join a two-year program that's meant to be a time to engage in spiritual disciplines and deepen your relationship with God. So I applied, and I was accepted, and that's when the fear set in. You see, this program requires a significant investment of both time and money. And I didn't feel like I could come up with either one of those things. I had this invitation in front of me, and I kept hearing God say, Go. But I was frozen in fear. I wanted to say yes, but I just didn't see how that was going to work. And I wasn't trusting God. Then one day, I was having some time with God, and I felt so strongly that it was like, say yes, say yes, say yes. So as soon as that was over, I went to the computer. I said, yes, I'm in, before I could chicken out and change my mind again. And what happened? God provided You guys, I cannot make this stuff up. I got a phone call yesterday um, from someone. I don't know who. I know who called me, but I don't know who the person is. Someone said they would like to pay for my entire tuition for this two-year program. And, I mean, I just sat there on the phone. I was like, uh, (laughs) for a long time. Um, And since then, actually, I've had some time open up in my schedule that... I couldn't have imagined possible either. Now, you're probably not completely surprised by that. Honestly, I'm not either. Because I could recount many of stories in my life when God has stepped in, God has provided. So then why did I doubt? I doubted because, like most of us, I have a tendency to forget the power of God in the past. And this is why God instructs us to remember. The book of Deuteronomy contains instructions given to the Israelites 
at the end of their time in the wilderness, right before they're going to cross into the promised land. And Moses is saying to the people, remember, look at all God has done for you. Look at the miracles he's done. Look at the ways he's provided. Then in Deuteronomy 4.9, he says, but take care and watch yourselves closely so as neither to forget the things your eyes have seen nor let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Remember why this instruction is because God knows we tend to forget. After Moses' death, God tells Joshua it's time for him to lead the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. And if you want another example of needing to step out in faith before seeing God's provision, see Joshua 3. God tells Joshua the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant should wade into the river and that the river will stop once the priests have their feet in the water, not before. First, they had to move forward in obedience and faith. And they did it. So the priests move into the water, the waters stop, the people cross over on dry land into the promised land. And at that point, while the waters are still stopped, God tells Joshua, have the people go into the riverbed, the dried up riverbed, and collect stones, one for every tribe take them into the promised land and build a memorial there with these stones to remind you of the power of God, to remind you what he's done so they would not forget. In the New Testament, the disciples were there. They witnessed Jesus' miracle when he multiplied five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And just a short time later, they find themselves in a similar situation. This time there's 4,000 men, plus women and children, and Jesus says he doesn't want to send the people away hungry. Now at this point, you'd think the disciples would be like, yes, Jesus is going to do that miracle again. He's going to multiply the, the bread and the fish, and we're going to have all this extra food. It's going to be awesome. And instead they say, and I quote, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? You're like, come on, really? Either they forgot, or they had decided that Jesus' provision was just a one-time thing. That's something else I do. Yes, God, I remember how you provided that one time, but that was then, and this is now. Here's the thing about my most recent situation. God knew I was worried he wouldn't provide. And at any point during my month of fretting, he could have stepped in and provided before I said yes. But that's not what happened. Saying yes to God's plan, saying yes, I'll go, before we see God's provision, this is the essence of faith. After God provided Abraham with a sacrifice in place of Isaac, Abraham named the place the Lord will provide which in Hebrew means the Lord will see to it. Can we trust that the Lord will see to it? Not only will God see to what we need to follow him, he knows exactly what those needs are. So that brings us back to Ezekiel. In verse 1, God says, stand up. In verse 2, it says, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking. God knows we are scared. He knows we need help. He knows 
that we need help to listen and to follow his call to action. And over and over again, God helps us. He steps in. He makes the impossible possible. He parts the sea. He provides a companion. He gives strength. He provides protection and resources, and he calms our fears. Sometimes that means saying, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk forward. I don't see how this is going to work, and I know I can't do it on my own, but I trust that you are able. And this is what God asks, our willingness to be obedient, to say yes, and to walk forward in his power. So at this point, Ezekiel is on his feet, and God's speaking to him, and God lays out the plan. Verses 3 through 5 said, say, Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. It's funny, Rob actually gave me a similar warning about you all. Just kidding. (laughs) See who's listening. Actually, he said quite the opposite. But Ezekiel is truly going into a challenging situation. God's saying, I'm sending you, you're the messenger. But the message is God's. Thus says the Lord. And whether they listen or not, twice in this short portion we're looking at, it says whether they listen or not. Because they may not even listen, but your job is to go, to walk forward in faith. It's actually really simple. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's really simple. What often happens, though, is that once we accept God's call to action, We get too caught up in the outcome. I know I do this. I want to make sure I'm successful in the task. And there's a couple problems with thinking this way. First, it means when I accept the call to action, when I say, okay, I'm going to go, from that point forward, I think this is all on me. How this works, what the outcome is, whether or not it's successful is all on me. It's not. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even Jesus, multiple times in John's gospel, says, I'm not doing anything of my own initiative. This is from God the Father, the one who sent me. Jesus is showing dependence on God the Father. And that's a good example for us to follow. As we move forward, we need to continue to rely on God and on God's power rather than trying to rely on ourselves. Remember, God told Ezekiel to stand to his feet, and then the Spirit empowered him to do it. The second issue with taking ownership of the outcome is that means I'm determining what success looks like and then working towards that goal. The problem here is that my version of success and God's version of success are usually not the same. We see in 1 Samuel 16 how differently God and man look at things. God sends Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel from among Jesse's sons. 
And to us, the obvious choice would be the oldest or the tallest, the richest, most athletic. But God's choice was the youngest, most insignificant. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God has different criteria. And we can't determine whether or not we're successful in God's plan using our own criteria. We have to understand that what might look like failure to us could be success in God's eyes. Theologian Reinhold Niebuhr said, The Christian knows that the cross is the truth. In that standard, he sees the ultimate success of what the world calls failure and failure of what the world calls success. When you answer God's call to action, do you find yourself working towards what's successful in your own mind? I felt the invitation to speak to people about God. And in our culture, success looks like traveling, speaking to tons and tons of people, publishing books, producing podcasts, lots of social media followers, all that. But to God, success could simply be that I showed up here this morning despite my nerves, and shared the message that God gave me. I think what looks like success to God is our willingness to follow him with a heart that is close to his. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? That's success. Then God gives Ezekiel some encouragement in verse 6. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. Now, admittedly, this encouragement is a little odd. If I receive encouragement like this, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to say bad things to me. I'm going to get poked by sharp objects, sit on scary critters. It's going to be all around unpleasant. And what was that you said about don't fear? But in one verse, God says to Ezekiel, neither fear, nor fear, neither fear, nor be dismayed. And God is saying this while acknowledging that things could be rough. To me, this is actually more real. It's more authentic. It carries more weight. God's not saying, oh, just go ahead. I'm sure it'll be fine. God's saying, even though you may face difficulties, you don't need to worry or be afraid. I'm aware of what's going to come, and I'm with you as you go. In 2 Chronicles 20, the tribe of Judah receives word that they're about to be attacked, and they're fearful. But they don't run away, they don't sit in their fear, they bring it to God. They said, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God answered, 2 Chronicles 20:15, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. And verse 17 goes on to say, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. There are times when God will call you to your feet, call you to action. 
And sometimes fear is the biggest obstacle we have to overcome. In an effort to be tough, sometimes we'll deny our fear or shove it down or tend to manage, try to manage it on our own. But I encourage you to be more like the people of Judah who said, we are powerless, we're afraid, and we don't know what to do. So we're coming to you, God. Then know that you can go out and face tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Perhaps you've made it to this point in the sermon and you're thinking, this sermon's all right, but it has nothing to do with me right now because God's not calling me into action. But if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I would challenge that response. What was Jesus' last instruction to his disciples? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I used to think the Great Commission meant go out and do your best to make everyone everywhere think and believe exactly the same way you do. But that's not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus taught. I think Eugene Peterson's version in the message actually gives a more accurate representation of the language that's used here. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by the baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So again, we see the instruction to go, and we have the promise that God will be with us as we do. So what is the way of life? What are the practices that Jesus instilled in his disciples? He said, go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Go love your neighbor. Go be compassionate and gentle. Go serve in humility. Go be peacemakers. Go care for the widows and the orphans, those in distress. Go forgive. Go to the lost, the sick, the hurting, the oppressed. Go seek truth. Go in prayer. Go in faith. Go in love. The worship team plays for us this morning. Consider what message God has for you. Maybe you hear a call to go. Maybe you already have a call to action, and God gives you the courage you need to take that first step of faith. Or maybe God reminds you of his provision in the past, and through that quiets your fears for the future.